Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy. White supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA anymore. Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence of racism. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. Well, hello there, dear wokeists. I hope you liked my cheeky title. We are finally doing this. <laughs> it has been a long time coming. Those of you who know me and follow me from before will know that I'm pretty vocal about the rapidly increasing, uh, what's the proper scientific term for it? Uh, garbageification of the online atheist scene. Ah, but I haven't always been critical. Once upon a time, I was pretty taken in myself, embarrassingly. So, I'm doing this mini-series to document that journey into and out of New atheism, more broadly speaking, but specifically out of being a Sam Harris fan. A lot of you have asked for a post-mortem analysis of my 2016 conversation with Sam from a 2020 now non-fan perspective, and that'll be a part of this series too. This initially was just meant to be a single episode about that, but there was so much to say and comb through that I decided it should maybe be a two-parter, and then it just kept sprawling and took on a life of its own, so now it's a mini-series. A warning, though, for the easily offended, there will be plenty of criticism of Sam Harris and new atheism. So turn back now if you think that might hurt your feelings. To those who are new to my content, let me just quickly introduce myself. I'm Ina, and I have a podcast called Polite Conversations. I'm an immigrant to Canada of Pakistani background, but I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I'm also an atheist ex-Muslim. I myself have plenty of criticisms of religion in general, and especially the one I left behind. If done in good faith, no pun intended, I welcome criticism of Islam. But the good faith part is key. And that means intellectually honest, secular criticism, not coming from a place of proselytizing another religion or coming from a place of anti-Muslim or anti-immigrant sentiment. I left Islam and spoke publicly about it constantly, at great personal risk too. These anti-Islam IDW types like to spin it as if most people critical of them apparently are only critical because they simply cannot tolerate criticisms of Islam. That people are just so offended that they aren't able to see past that and then unfairly target and criticize these poor souls for everything. So very obviously not the case with me as I just explained my lack of emotional attachment to Islam. My criticisms of it remain, however, my assessment of many of the atheists that used to cheer me on has changed quite drastically. And I have always, without hesitation, spoken up about Islamic extremism 
and I've been so disturbed by the recent horrific story of a teacher being decapitated in Paris. And like after the Charlie Hebdo tragedy, I want to stress that the blame here lies with the deranged religious fundamentalist lunatic who turned to violence, regardless of what you think of the publication. And also, it lies partly with the enablers and excuse makers for whom the priority here is a cartoon they find offensive and not the literal decapitation of a human being over a drawing. I'm an illustrator myself and an enthusiastic blasphemer, so I take this very seriously. You can criticize cartoons and publications that upset you all you like, but use your words and pens and creativity to make your case. The second you start justifying this level of offense-taking, you become a far worse problem than any offensive cartoon. I never mince my words or downplay or deny the issues related to Islamic extremism. I've always spoken out about it. And I expected that the atheists making a fuss about the downplayers and excuse makers and apologists would at the very least adhere to their own standards if the focus shifted to white supremacist terrorism or extremism. How wrong I was, as the Trump era has shown very clearly. Some of the rational atheist takes I've seen about this Paris attack, too, are just so blatantly hypocritical. Like they've suddenly become so animated and passionate about combating extremism again after their constant downplaying of all the white supremacist and far-right attacks we've seen for the past few years. And now they're awake again, judging others in the West for not focusing their criticisms solely on Islam. It's this bad faith and obvious double standard that makes myself and the few other progressive ex-Muslims I've come across feel silenced. Like we cannot freely express our views or be as vocal as we'd like for fear that anti-Muslims will hijack our voices. Let me tell you, it is crazy-making to be on the defensive about a religion you left behind because there are so many racists jumping on that bandwagon waiting to use your criticisms to spread hatred about people like you. It's a strange position to be in. I've been growing increasingly uncomfortable with the direction these new atheist and ex-Muslim communities are headed in especially in a political climate like today's. And I believe leading figures with massive platforms and influence like Sam have played a major role in them shifting further and further right as they try to rationalize and polish up basic old-school bigoted talking points as exciting new ideas. The same old anti-minority stuff, but now hidden beneath a veneer of science, logic, and reason. Germany has suspended a number of officers suspected of sharing extremist content in online chat groups. Some of the suspects face charges of spreading Nazi propaganda and hate speech. I understand that, but people are rioting. Do you commit to making sure that there's a peaceful transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. White supremacy, white nationalism, uh, anti-government, uh, extremist ideas have been uh, growing uh, for quite some time in this country, and his divisive rhetoric is fuel on that fire, and it makes us less safe. 
Yeah, this was an area that you worked on when you were at the Department of Homeland Security trying to get the Trump administration to take seriously uh, the threat from right-wing white supremacist uh, domestic terrorists or potential domestic terrorists, which is not a group uh, that President Trump really even acknowledges very often. Okay, so the FBI Director Christopher Wray telling lawmakers that white supremacists are the largest group of racially motivated domestic terrorists. He says it accounts for the bulk of the Bureau's work on domestic threats. Breonna Taylor's name has become a rallying cry for athletes and others demanding changes in policing. A name unifying those wishing to shed light on the stories of black women in conflicts with police. If we're going to talk about police violence against uh, innocent civilians, black or white, we have to be accurate about what's actually happening in the world. Mm -hmm. We can't we can't lie about the statistics. We can't. We just have to. We have to have honestly engage with the data. Uh, and you know, 15 cell phone videos uh, is not the data, right? That that's what is being used to spark a kind of moral panic around this. The more progress we make on issues of race, the less racism there will be to find. And the more likely we'll be to find ourselves merely chasing after its ghost. We had a two-term black president. We have black congressmen and women. We have black mayors and black chiefs of police. It seems to me that false claims of victimhood can diminish the social stature of any group even a group that has a long history of real victimization. The police use more deadly force against white people, both in terms of absolute numbers and in terms of their contribution to crime and violence in our society. White supremacy is still the fringe of the fringe in the United States. Uh, where to even begin with this shit? As for his continuous downplaying of white supremacy, I uh, did a whole separate episode on that once, which you can check out. I'll link it in the show notes. And 15 cell phone videos is certainly not the only data that's causing outrage over police brutality. Disgusting to even minimize it like that. And real rich to frame it as a hysterical reaction, a panic. When his whole brand is whipping up anti-left, anti-Islam, and anti-anti-racism hysteria, you want to talk about honestly engaging with the data? Then maybe don't just selectively use what suits your narrative. Since whites make up the largest proportion of the population, obviously the total numbers will indicate more police violence against white people, which is bad too, by the way, but that's simply because there's more of them. I'm looking at data right now, and according to studies that Nature Magazine cites, I'm seeing things like black men are 2.5 times more likely to be killed by police than white men. Unarmed black people were 3.49 times more likely to be shot by police than unarmed whites. White officers five times more likely to use a gun in black neighborhoods than black officers. And according to mappingpoliceviolence.org, 
Black people have been 28% of those killed by police in 2020, despite being only 13% of the population. One study they cite says black people are three times more likely to be killed by police than white people. Police killings have decreased in cities, but have increased in suburban and rural areas. And if you go looking for data on this topic, time and time again, you'll see concerns about how limited the data is on this. As Nature magazine states, a national data set established by the FBI in 2019 contains data from only about 40% of U.S. law enforcement officers. Data submission by officers and agencies is voluntary, which many researchers see as part of the problem. Now, what kind of reliable data are you going to get if those people you want to hold accountable get to decide what data they submit? Sam never mentions things like that. Or like the fact there's a 2019 paper which reported that bias in police administrative records results in many studies underestimating levels of racial bias in policing. Nope, this is not the type of data Sam wants to look at. And pointing out that there are black cops and black chiefs of police also doesn't do anything to refute the idea that the entire system is corrupt and set up to target black people disproportionately. And the two-term black president point. My gosh, the ignorance. You know, people could vote for Obama based on something they liked about his politics, but still hold generally anti-black views. I mean, you could also say that over the course of Obama's presidency, racial hostility and white fears grew and grew and ultimately set the stage for someone like Trump. And regarding the subject of progress on issues of race, Sam seems to set up straw men to knock down all the time. Or should I say straw people for extra wokeness points. No one is saying that 2020 is as bad as the days of segregation or that progress hasn't been made. But you cannot deny the sudden lurch backwards recently. Someone who's talked about quote-unquote regressives so much should have been very interested in combating this. But nope. It's all about racism denial and flimsy, sloppy excuses, indistinguishable from Ben Shapiro or Breitbart at times. Ah, I'm exhausted already, and we're only at the beginning of this episode still. So thank you all for joining me for this special project. I hope you'll keep tuning in for the whole story. Initially, I'm releasing this series as a Patreon exclusive, but maybe I'll put one or two episodes out as a public release too. So if you're listening via Patreon, thank you for supporting this work and for your patience. This kind of deep dive content is only in existence because you make it possible. If you're listening to the eventually released public version, please do consider supporting the show. Thousands of people listen to my content, but only a small fraction support. And without listeners like you, this show can't survive or thrive. Every little bit helps, but if you can't support financially, you can always support by leaving a five-star iTunes review or by sharing it on your social media. It would be greatly appreciated because... Pushback to these toxic scenes is not as common as it should be, and because I have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this. Like, a lot. With all that's happened in the past few years with the flourishing and emboldened far-right, 
I feel like it's especially important to examine the powerful and influential apologists and sanitizers of racism, minimizers of white supremacy, and upholders of the status quo. You know these types. We've all seen these types. Their tactics are similar globally, even if I'm speaking from a North America-centric perspective. But imagine being an American right now, an extremely rational American, doing this kind of shit while democracy hangs by a thread in your country. I mean, the election in the U.S. is right around the corner and still... The focus hasn't shifted much from the left and anti-racists being the worst things in the world. Despite his superficial criticisms of Trump, who's being elected, he also blamed on the left. What do you think the impact over time of someone like Sam constantly, constantly shitting on the left for every little thing while always going easy, demanding charitableness and bending over backwards for the right. What do you think the impact of that would be? Especially when the stakes are so fucking high. Here's what he said right after Trump was elected. I share the view that the election was generally a repudiation of the left and of political correctness in particular as much as it was just a vote for change it was a repudiation of black and brown identity politics by white identity politics and it's important to point out that this isn't the same as racism i don't believe that a majority of the people who voted for trump were motivated by racism there are people who voted for obama twice who voted for Trump. <laughs> Racism cannot be the best way to explain that. And this is where the prevailing analysis on the left is wrong. You can be sure that every white racist in the country voted for Trump. But there are millions of other decent people who have reasonable concerns about a movement like Black Lives Matter. And most of these people probably voted for Trump too. These people are not racists. They were simply recoiling from charges of racism. They were simply recoiling from charges of racism. They were simply recoiling from charges of racism and from a toxic brand of identity politics. Much of what has been coming out of the left, not everything, but much of it, particularly about race and about law and order and about Islamophobia and terrorism, about issues that are fundamental to the security of our society has had all the moral clarity and intellectual honesty of the OJ verdict, which is to say none at all. And I'm confident that many people who don't perceive Trump to be a dangerous con man in the way that I do probably voted for him out of sheer exasperation. They were sick of being called racist for not worrying about Halloween costumes on our Ivy League campuses. So millions of these people, along with real racists, told all you whinging social justice warriors at Yale and Brown to go fuck yourselves. And can you really blame them? I mean, safe spaces, trigger warnings, new gender pronouns, getting Muslim student groups to deplatform speakers like Ayan Hirsi Ali and Bill Maher. Was that the cause of your generation? That's the trench you are willing to die in? 
Look, unless you're willing to make race and IQ the trench you're willing to die in, you're just not even a serious person, okay? New gender pronouns and uh, safe spaces. That's what caused Trump. And can you really blame these poor dears? Not being able to wear blackface on Halloween is what real oppression looks like. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing that mere accusations of racism seem to be more worthy of victimhood status than racism itself. There's no talk of false victimhood now. Majority of Trump voters were not racist, you hear? Oh, and by the way, Sam thinks Trump is a dangerous con man in case you didn't catch that, so don't you dare accuse him of defending Trump or his fans. It's also very important for him to point out that repudiation of black and brown identity politics by white identity politics is actually not the same as racism, you see. These are just extremely good, extremely not racist people who happen to be super mad about BLM. I mean, you can have criticisms of certain BLM tactics and specific incidents you think maybe you would have done differently for greater effectiveness, but this frothing at the mouth on the right and obvious flailing attempts to deny racism at every turn that's just a problem with the core issue itself. And there's that Obama point again. How can people be racist if they voted for Obama? <laughs> you know, there was a study that looked at Obama to Trump switchers specifically, and it found that even those voters tended to score highly on measures of racial hostility and xenophobia. And this is just one that I'm quoting. There have been numerous studies since he was elected which found that racial resentment, anti-immigrant sentiment, and sexism were strongly related with support for Trump. Even more horrifying is the fact that a clear correlation has been shown between Trump campaign events and incidents of prejudiced violence. Talk about engaging with facts and data honestly. And to my knowledge, Sam hasn't retracted any of his baseless SJW scolding from right after the 2016 election, even after this data has long been available. And you know, he may be too fancy or highbrow to be a Trump supporter, but you can sense there's definitely an empathizing with Trump voters that is not present anywhere, anywhere at all in his discussions of the left. There's a solidarity or tribalism even between people who are often accused of racism. I mean, that's how they formed the IDW, is it not? <laughs> and this whole you made me do it argument is never ever made the other way for the left. Sure, safe spaces made you vote Trump and fuck your own country for generations, but you know, police brutality or the effects of systemic racism will never be used as an explanation or justification for the mobilization of minorities into movements like BLM. So, yeah, I think it's well worth examining the effects that such massive platforms dedicated to whitewashing the right and minimizing things like systemic racism especially during periods of heightened racial tensions, like now, have 
and how people in this position often use minority tokens to give their views credibility and also to shield them from accusations of bigotry. The Richard Spencers or David Dukes, almost anyone can look at and denounce, except for maybe Trump, who might tell them to stand by. But the very mainstream, acceptable in polite society types, getting a group profile in the New York Times types, worry me a great deal. They're definitely not white supremacists themselves or anything, not what I'm saying, and it certainly doesn't help to throw those terms at them because they use that kind of hyperbolic accusation to then dismiss very valid critiques as all part of the same absurdity. And that's a tactical error. It's a win for them. So don't give them that. They're counting on that kind of straw man leftist that calls everyone a Nazi or white supremacist to prove their BS talking points. So I want to be precise and very clear straight off the bat that this series is not about calling anyone a Nazi or anything. It's about noticing the less blatant and more mainstreamizable bigotry apologetics that slips under a lot of people's radars. Racism, like all types of bigotry, exists on a spectrum. Some people only want to acknowledge the very end of that spectrum. Throughout the course of this, I hope to demonstrate that the subject of this mini-series is one of these apologists and racism deniers. We'll talk about the little rhetorical tricks, things like acknowledging upfront that, of course, there generally is racism and that it is a bad thing, obviously, but then denying every single specific example of it that is put forth. Anything short of a self-identifying KKK guy or someone uttering the N-word on tape is simply not racism. You know, a lot of people don't say what they mean because they know that they can have a better, more effective conveyance of their message by going halfway towards saying what they mean and then, you know, not spelling it all out. It's much easier for Donald Trump to call shithole countries, you know, shithole countries than to say, I think they're shithole countries because they have black people in them. Obviously, he's not going to say that, but it's very clear to people what he means. Well, again, no, I mean, so for me, it's not... It's a thankless job defending Trump or any of the, these other people who I disagree with more or less across the board. And in, in, certainly in Trump's case, I'm more or less sure that he is guilty as charged. But again, the question is, are these utterances evidence of the crime? And So what utterances are ones that fall into the... I mean, I'm curious. What, what has Trump said that makes you think he's a racist? For, the thing that's truly dispositive for me is that, that I believe I know to a moral certainty what he's like behind closed doors, right? And I know that the apprentice tapes exist and that you can hear him using the N-word with abandon, not, you know, like it's linguistics class and he's talking about the power of the word, but he's using it because that's what he calls black people when he's, you know, totally unguarded. So I guess I would be worried about setting the bar at you have to be a celebrity who's taped on camera repeatedly using the N-word and anything short of that is not. That's not the bar. And if you have black friends, why isn't that an adequate defense against accusations of racism? Well, Sam, probably the same way that if you have a wife or a mother that you love, that doesn't prevent you from being a misogynist. 
The idea that the, some of my best friends are black defense is not only a bad defense, but a sign of racism. That's bullshit, right? If but that so shouldn't be your defense. If, you, if you're not a racist, that shouldn't be your defense. Your defense should be yourself and your behavior, not the fact that but, you have people who but that's a, that's a you super, may or may not have duped into being friends with you. No, no, but that's a super salient part of your behavior, right? So if, like, if some of your best friends are black, you're white, and some of your best, best friends are black, let's just track the meanings of these words, right? Best friends. Just how racist are you going to be? Who is the evil genius who first convinced the world that being able to honestly say that, quote, some of my best friends are black is not an adequate defense against the charge of racism toward black people? If the path forward toward some colorblind utopia doesn't entail having best friends or even a spouse who is from a different race, if that doesn't represent an adequate surmounting of the problem of, of racism, and, I'm, and now I'm speaking personally, we can leave aside institutional or structural racism for the moment, but if having one's closest, most intimate friends be of another race isn't an adequate defense of what you just described as racism, or the defense against what you just described as racism, explain that to me. Hmm. Pretty sure Richard Spencer has dated an Asian woman before. Guess he's totally not racist then, huh? You see, people like Sam want to define racism as narrowly as possible while denying that they want to define it narrowly, of course. So I guess I would be worried about setting the bar at you have to be a celebrity who's taped on camera repeatedly using the N-word and anything short of that is not. That's not the bar. If you're going to refer to shithole countries as a, a rich guy, pseudo-billionaire who likes everything in his life gilded, it seems to me the variable there is not race. The, the salient variable, the necessary variable in order to understand the utterance is not race. It is squalor and poverty and disease and it's he's talking about the developing world and if you could find me a country filled with white people who are as poor and chaotic as what you find in Congo well then he's talking about them too I, I, right or he would be I didn't claim that these were conscious dog whistles I quoted Nazis who read them as dog whistles. Okay, but that's not the same thing as uttering a dog whistle. I didn't claim anything about how they meant the utterance. I claimed what what effect it had. Well, no, but I mean, like, you, you take the, the, the most odious thing, I think, that you quote from Tucker, or at least you quote it in the, in the spirit of holding it up as evidence of his racism. He, he at one point says, in what sense is diversity our strength? And, you know, that can be read as I'm a white guy who just wants to be around more white guys message. It's also a, a question that has to be fair game, you know, well within the Overton window when you're talking about understanding society. Again, I, I totally agree with you about Steve Bannon. He's not, he's not Richard Spencer. I think he's, he's unfairly slimed as being that sort of right-wing xenophobe or racist. Uh, never mind that in 2016, Bannon referred to Breitbart, which he headed back then, as the platform for the alt-right. 
and that since leaving Breitbart in 2018, he's told European far-righters to wear the label racist and xenophobe as a badge of honor. Never mind all that. I mean, he's no Richard Spencer, guys. So I guess it's the evil left that's been unfairly sliming him. No, no, no. Of course, Sam doesn't set the bar for racist too high. What are you talking about? Seriously, though, this is an elementary school level understanding of something as complex and twisted and varied and constantly reinvented as racism. Sam would like it to be very simple and clear cut where it's all those guys with the hoods that are the racists and the baddies, not him or his pals, because racism is what those other people do. It's purposeful and obvious and comes with a giant label. Not him, because he has diverse friends who he approves specifically because they parrot his anti-wokeness, anti-anti-racism talking points. This way, he doesn't have to self-reflect at all. If he conceded that this thing Trump or Tucker Carlson said was racist, it would start to unravel everything because Sam and Doug Murray say similar things even if they are said more eloquently. And we can't be questioning that now, can we? And it's funny that this incredibly narrow view of racism comes along with defining the faults of the left and anti-racists as broadly and vaguely as possible. Things like their usage of quote-unquote wokeness, never defined, outrage, is just one big bad thing the left does. Never mind if it's about something serious like police brutality or if it's about retroactively canceling a 90s sitcom for a joke that didn't stand the test of time. It's all under the same umbrella of left bad. The entire left is a monolith. It's not Sam that doesn't see nuance. It's the left ignoring gradations. This is one of the consequences of having a a left, having his outrage meter so poorly calibrated, right? If if you're going to call everyone a racist who's concerned about immigration, eventually only a racist who doesn't care about his reputation anymore will be elected to do that job. You're framing this that everybody thinks that there's not gradations because we're in this culture where... There are gradations, but I'm I'm worried that the left is ignoring the gradations. Left as a whole. Yeah. yeah, As a group. Left as a whole. Yeah. yeah, As a group. Left as a whole. Yeah. yeah, As a group. Left as a whole. Yeah. As a group. The left, the left, the left. It's the left that's bad. It's the left that lies. You see, the left as a whole. The whole left. Trump is bad, sure, sure, sure. But the left is even lying about that. There are very few people who... who, find Trump is, is more odious than I do. I mean, if there are such people, I haven't met them. But much of the attack, many of the attacks on Trump are so poorly targeted mm-hmm. that he's being, you know, call, he's being called a racist for things that are not evidence of racism. Now, I have no doubt he actually is a racist, but uh, no exaggeration, half of the evidence adduced for his racism by the left is just, it's just, just maliciously it's just poorly targeted. It's a lot of people in the well, no, I mean, party. There's... If you enjoy the food of different cultures and music too, how the fuck could you be racist? That's ludicrous. The left has lost the plot once again with its crazy accusations. 
racist you should be worried about. I mean, there's someone whose best friends are of another race, someone who's a real, and to take this out of just racism, someone who's a real xenophile, someone who loves other cultures and, you know, other foods and other music and other architecture. Like, the, the people who are, ma are making friends with diverse people are not the people you should be worrying about, and it really is a defense. He is so weirdly obsessed with defending that some of my best friends are black point. My goodness. But you see why, right? It's because he relies heavily on his minority friends as a shield himself. And it's not like anyone's ever been known to fetishize people of another culture in a bad or problematic way before. And yeah. I've never known a racist to enjoy a curry or a kebab. In fact, if you see a racist and you give them a curry, they will magically, permanently be inoculated against doing future racisms. That's just how it works. It's science. <laughs> yeah, I listen to that shit till my ears basically bled. And also, regarding the tokenism thing, I wanted to focus on that a bit here. I take that very personally, given my background. I almost fell into being used as one of those tokens myself. Inadvertently. Some of these tokens are pretty happy and willing and purposeful in their mission to court the right. I was never one of those, to be clear. Some legitimately hate the left and everything it stands for to the point that they let the bigotry towards themselves slide. You see this in the most absurd forms now. Anti-Muslim imams who gain popularity among the far right and appear on white nationalist podcasts to bash the Quran. Or women MRAs who argue that women should have never gotten the vote in the first place. <laughs> These are more extreme examples, sure. But there are nuances here too. There's ex-Muslims engaging in white identity politics is also the more respectable intellectual minority conservatives, too. All of these are celebrated for the legitimacy they bring to anti-their-own-background talking points. I'm not saying they wake up one day and decide, hey, I want to be a right-wing anti-minority token today. But whether they're conscious or not, they are used that way. And completely unrelated, of course, here's an interesting clip from Sam's conversation with Quillette contributor Coleman Hughes. There is a slight irony here because the color of your skin is relevant to this conversation because only someone with the color of your skin could do what you're doing right now. And so I mean, a white guy can't be writing the articles that you're writing now. And it's not a good thing. I mean, the purpose of this conversation is to figure out how to get to a some possible future where all of us can talk about race and try to find some way forward that doesn't leave any of us open for just this reflexive smearing and character assassination that's coming from a predominantly the left here. What's that now? You're okay with identity politics? Reluctantly, of course, of course. 
but you're okay with it if it helps shield you from this quote-unquote reflexive smearing. You're okay with hiding behind someone's skin color. I will add that uh, there are plenty of white guys writing articles downplaying racism in uh, publications like Quillette. And they're doing just fine. But yes, if you manage to find a person of color to do it, that is definitely more widely celebrated in certain circles. I wonder why. <laughs> oh, identity politics hater indeed. Thankfully, I got out pretty quick, before they had much of an opportunity to use me to their benefit. And you know, I would love for others in my position to learn from my experiences and recognize these things sooner than I did. Here's a clip from the episode where he talks about George Floyd. And of course, this will be controversial. And needless to say, many people will consider the color of my skin to be disqualifying here. I could have invited any number of great black intellectuals onto this podcast to make these points for me. But that struck me as a form of cowardice. You know, Glenn Lowry, John McWhorter, Thomas Chatterton Williams, Coleman Hughes. Yes, yeah, Sam, you certainly haven't had them all on at one point or another to specifically make these race and racism-based points for you before. Definitely no cowardice here. And now I give you Glenn Lowry. And now I bring you Thomas Chatterton Williams. get into the zone and channel my inner Sam for a second. Okay, it is me, Lord of Logic, reporting for duty from the least racist time America has ever known, though you wouldn't know it from the general hysteria the cult of wokeness has whipped up these days. As I record this housekeeping session to clarify and expand upon my previous housekeeping session, which was taken out of context, of course, I will no doubt again be taken out of context by my enemies. It's because they're all liars. Despite being constantly targeted by people's poorly calibrated racism detectors, I am in fact the least racist person you will ever meet, and also the biggest Trump critic. Now, moving on. Listening to my voice will definitely improve your skull shape. I have my unfairly maligned, extremely factual, and extremely scientific friend, Charles Murray, here to confirm that very fact. Charles, please put your calipers away till after the recording. 
I know you get a little over-enthusiastic with those, and before anyone thinks that having him on to agree with everything he says means I am interested in race and IQ and phrenology, let me tell you, I have zero interest in the topic. This is only my 92nd dispassionate episode on the issue. And that too is only because I keep getting dragged into this conversation by far left radicals like Ezra Klein and other Vox journalists who criticize me, who of course have the intellectual integrity of the KKK. All right, all right. Enough of that. Actually, Sam has only done 74 episodes on phrenology, you dishonest SJW. Yeah, relax, would you? It's a joke. So with that, I think I'm going to start wrapping up the first episode of Woking Up. Next time, we'll be discussing more classic heresisms, IDW tactics, and the like. I'm sure that since I've played some clips here and using Sam Harris's own words to criticize him is haram, I'm pretty sure I'll be getting those accusations of taking him out of context. Obviously, I have to clip clips at some point and can't play large 20-minute chunks that are irrelevant to this episode. That must mean I am being a dishonest leftist. Plus, you know, you just don't criticize the prophet, peace be upon him. Blasphemers shall pay, and don't I know it. Jokes aside, though, I do completely understand that some people do misrepresent him, and I've seen it happen where they'll make it look like he was saying something that he wasn't. Like there's this meme that goes around with a quote of his about how rape is perfectly natural, something, something, and they just make it seem as if he's enthusiastically pro-rape in the quote, which was not the case. I think what he said was still pretty badly worded, if I remember correctly. But his point was that appeals to all things natural are not always good, like rape or violence being natural, but still horrendous. His point was not that, hey, rape is great. So I wanted to do this general disclaimer, especially for all the Sam fans that have managed to listen through their rage this far. I have no intention of lying about his views in this way to score cheap shots. I do not want to make him seem like he's saying something he's not. It would be easily refuted if I selectively edited something to make it seem like he's saying the opposite of what he truly believes. And it would be such a colossal waste of my time. This is a long, deep examination of patterns and trends. Not like one quick misleading picture quote, you know? (laughs) Like when I played the clip of him defending the some of my best friends are black argument, which he does repeatedly in multiple episodes. It's, It's not like I sneakily clipped it to make it sound like he was saying, actually, that should be a good defense against accusations of racism when in reality he was saying something like, oh my God, can you believe there are idiots out there who still say things like, why isn't some of my best friends are black a good defense against charges of racism? So no, I didn't clip that sort of context out or anything. That is actually something he stands by and a view he repeats constantly. I know he likes to say that people clip him to make it sound like he's saying the opposite of what he was saying, but I don't know about that. Often what he's saying is pretty horrid on its own. No lies needed. Trust me, he couches it and masks it and caveats it for sure. 
But no matter what, he always uses the out of context, everyone who criticizes me is lying about my views excuse. Yes, some people do do that. But that doesn't mean every single person who criticizes him is lying or misleading people about what he's saying. Some people listen to this podcast just for the pleasure of quoting me out of context in misleading ways. I'm consoled by the fact that some of my worst enemies are rather avid liars, right? These, their lies eventually will bring them down. I am uh, reasonably confident of that. The intellectual dishonesty of my critics. Uh, so that's intellectual dishonesty, and it's more a liberal problem than a conservative one at this point. I feel a, a little sheepish recommending to one and all that everyone be as unfiltered as, a, in my framing, intellectually honest as I attempt to be. You guys are just super intellectually dishonest, avid liars for even listening to this episode. <laughs> I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Woking Up. You can support this show by sharing it or via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. And a special thanks to Intellectual Dark Wave for helping out on the musical front.